Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Ungrown Ups Podcast. You're listening to this episode two, the second episode. I'm Ryan. And I'm Matthew, and we are Ungrown Ups. We're adults, but we're young at heart. We're here to share our passion for toys, transportation, travel, tech, tacos, and other words that start with the letter T, and maybe even words that start with different letters. That's right, and since we know there are a ton of Ungrown Ups doing some really cool shit out there, we're going to have friends, guests, and maybe even people reluctantly showing up uh, to help us spread the ungrown up gospel. So to prove that Ryan and I are normal people, we've actually invited a third person who knows both Ryan and I to join us. So welcome everyone to Nathan. Woo! The fact that you just said normal, <laughs> normal. people. That, yeah, that I don't know about right. the normal no. part, guys, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I guess if we all know each other, that already proves that point. It does prove that point. I don't think there's anything normal about any of the people sitting in this room, but that's that's totally fine. That's actually kind of part of the benefit of this whole thing, right? Well, I mean, we're ungrown ups, and so that along on itself means that we're not normal, I guess. Right. So, by whose definition? We don't know. Yeah, yeah we we're not the ones defining that. No, May, potentially by society's definition uh, yeah. in general, right? I, I think that's okay, though. Yeah, we're still trying to define what an ungrown up is, other than what we are. Well, and at the end of the day, like we're we're adults that are responsible, but we still enjoy things. Like, I mean, you're sitting in a room that's filled with some stuff. pretty rad Legos. Actually. Thank you. Yeah. I see somebody <laughs> somebody gets it. Uh, there's some pretty rad Legos, you know, and, and there's toys. Like, there's stuff that while it may seem like it's for kids or, you know, I don't have children, Matthew does, but it, it's still about having a, a kind it's, of a sense of wonder and just still being into stuff that it it's enjoying matter. the lighter side of life, basically. Right. Right. And, and the one thing that I think we all three have in common is we all have automotive industry backgrounds. Mm -hmm. you yep. know, we all get paid to play with cars in one way, shape or form. Right. And so it, it's kind of fun to be juvenile in that respect and, you know, sharing stories of the dumb modifications you made to cars as a kid or as an adult. Uh, some of the more regrettable decisions you made with automotive styling or performance or whatever it may be. One of the reasons why we wanted to have Nathan on is he has a RX-8 that he likes to race. I do. Which technically, and I'm just going to spoiler alert really quick, it's not even the first one, is it? Sadly, no. This is the uh, second iteration of the RX-8. The first one had a little bit of a meeting with a wall, but that's a longer story. Yeah, that's all right. So how, how did you get to this point where... The RX-8 became your sort of, I guess, toy. And why the RX-8? I mean, yeah. assuming you had a range of choices to choose from, what was it that drove you to that car to choose it? You know, it's uh, with the RX-8, as most people know, it's not the most uh, reliable for uh, track cars or road cars. So I ended up there with kind of a long, uh, a long little path. Uh, started out when I first started uh, out here in California, got heavily into spec Miata racing. Nice. We lived uh, in the Inland Empire at a big place that had room for a, a shop and a truck and a trailer and all that kind of thing. At your house? At the house, yeah. Oh, that's the awesome. American dream right there. Yeah, yeah right? and especially having the shop area. So, you know, some people say garage, I say shop. Yeah. I was able to kind of finance myself with racing by building cars. So I'd build a spec Miata, race it a couple of times, sell it, and then that would fund the build for the next one and then some more racing. Ended up with another kid, uh, decided needed to be much closer to work. So we moved into the uh, Orange County area and uh, quickly found ourselves short on room and no shop. So wanted to keep uh, driving on the track, didn't have any infrastructure. So first thing I did was I actually built a street Miata so I could drive it to the track and play with it. Our uh, association has these crazy rules where we're not really allowed <laughs> to park anywhere. Right. Uh, so I have to put at least two cars in the garage. And then with three, it was really tight. So I actually had... In my garage, I had a motorcycle, actually two motorcycles, fridge, garage, toolboxes, trailer for said motorcycle, um, all of my wife's stuff, which is another story with her photography, and then a Mazda 2 and a uh, Miata in there. In a two-car garage? In a two-car garage. Holy yeah. hell. That's insane. That's a massive sounding garage. Right. Yeah, which it's not. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, growing up in Southern California, you're lucky if you have like a foot or two of additional space beyond the width of the garage door. Right. right. And so like my garage, I can't put anything on the right side of the garage because the, the wall is maybe eight inches from yeah. the door. And on the left side, I have about two feet. But my table saw workbench takes it up. So I have a two-car garage door, but I can only fit a one car in there because of the toolbox and the table saw and the workbench and all that stuff. So for you to have all those things yeah. in that garage, it sounds like a massive game of Tetris. I'm lucky, I'm lucky that my truck doesn't fit in my garage, right? Because I have a two-car <laughs> garage, but now I actually have works, workspace. And it's just motorcycles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, so yeah, so to your point, it wasn't working very well. Right. Um, so we decided, okay, this Miata is an amazing track car but it's only good for the track so decided to say we're going to do a car that will fit two kids and can use as a daily as well 
So sold the Miata, got a Mazda Speed 3, which was a great street car. Big right. power, great usability. Was really happy with it until I put it on the track for the first time. Turns out a really heavy front-wheel drive car, not so great to drive on the track. I can um, see that. Plus, it was a really nice car. So it was too nice of a car. Every time I took it out, it was getting beat up and getting new chips, rock chips and everything Yeah, that is like kind that. of the, the hard challenge of balancing a streetable race car. It's yeah. like you want it nice enough for the street, but not so nice that you worry about beating it up on the track. Exactly. We just invest in rolls and rolls and rolls of blue painter tape. Oh, yeah. that's... Uh, <laughs> you can be that guy. Yeah, yeah that guy. Totally. I know a lot. Of those. And I came most of my background, at least with professionally with cars, a Subaru. I know plenty of those guys yes. and they all vape. Big wings and vapes. <laughs> yeah. Flat bills. Yeah. yeah. Vapes. yeah. yeah. I, 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 I'm going to alienate more people this episode. Huh? <laughs> so I did. I, I uh, got rid of that one um, and was in a very specific need. So I needed a car that would fit kids that mm. my wife could actually drive and that I could use as a daily. So this RX-8 came up and I was really, really hesitant to buy it. I've driven RX-8 race cars on the track. Right. They're amazing on the track. Um, I've also uh, worked for a manufacturer when the RX-8 first came out and especially when all of the reliability issues came up and it was just a nightmare constantly. So I knew what I was in for. Pulled the trigger anyway. And surprisingly, I really, really liked the car on the street. Um, it's interesting because you think about the RX-8 and the car for Mazda was honestly a halo car when it first came out. Right. So they put huge engineering uh, resources into the thing. It's actually very comfortable to drive. It's pretty quiet. The driving dynamics are amazing. The only real downside is the reliability and the fuel mileage. I mean, the reliability wasn't really, from my understanding, it didn't seem to be an issue of the, I guess, the design and the manufacturing. It was just the cars weren't being driven the way they were intended to be driven. And therefore, parts would fail prematurely because it wasn't driven as aggressively. At least that was yeah. what it was to my understanding, like the apex seals. Right. Like you really needed to rev the engine while driving it, maybe occasionally redline it. And most people were just putting around to the grocery store after a short drive, shutting it off. And my those types of things, I think might have led to the reliability perception. Well, anecdotally, I guess, to that, right? I was, so when the RX-8 first came out, I was in the retail side of things and involved with the Mazda store. And I guess, again, it's anecdotal, but it was the little old lady was driving the RX-8 and driving it very slowly around. And there was, it, was, it wasn't getting worked out. Th those things never saw redline. Yeah, and, and especially the automatics because they had the low-power engine. Right. And then four-speed automatic when it first came out, it never let it get above 3,000 RPM. And that was a big problem, but it's, a lot of it is related to carbon buildup, not getting it hot, using the wrong kind of oil, all that kind of stuff. But right or wrong, it had the reputation. Yeah. Right, right. Well, and they're fairly, I mean, to what you just said, they're kind of picky engines. They really are. You have to you have to know what you're doing with it. It requires, you know, special care and feeding. So the perception of it being unreliable led to the reality of people thinking it not being reliable. So did that mean you picked it up for a great deal? Yeah, it was too good of a deal to pass up at the time. Um, so I did. I picked it up and I said, okay, we're going to use this car. I'm going to play with it a little bit. I didn't get it out on the track right away. I actually put it on the street. I was able to find a bunch of little parts for it and really surprisingly make the interior a pretty comfortable place to be. And then first track day, I had a set of pretty cheap coilovers on it. And that's it. And a set of brake pads and a set of takeoff uh, Hoosiers from some friends that race uh, RX-8s and went out and won time trial with the thing. Oh, wow. That's awesome. As a streetcar. So what, it was pretty What rad. was the first track? Uh, first place I ran it was Buttonwell. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which is a great track for that car. Yeah. Not doesn't require a whole lot of horsepower, but it does require good handling and good brakes, which right. the thing has in spades. So surprisingly enough, I, I really, really liked the car on the street. As long as I didn't have to drive it too much and put a bunch of gasoline in it, it was pretty good. Because <laughs> honestly, on the street... Um, even driving at nice, 15 miles per gallon all day long. Yeah. And is, is that pretty I mean, terrible by today's standards? Right. Is that basically on a stock engine tune or is that after you've made some mods to it? So this, the engine tune is still stock because that's a really big thing for reliability on the track. Most of the engine tunes um, try to up the exhaust temps, which will start to take out side seals and corner seals. Uh, so stock tune, um, it does have uh, a few little things in airbox. And when I run it on the track, I do a, uh, a cat pipe so that I don't have to get all the heat into it and also okay. save the cat for a little bit. But it's pretty stock. Actually, those rotaries on those things, the stock tune, the stock intake, you can't get much more power out of them. Like even the, uh, the Pro Formula Mazdas when they run the, the Renesis in there. Completely uncorked with a uh, a race tune, right. which does definitely limit the engine life. There's still maybe 20 horsepower. Oh, so, wow. So, yeah, it doesn't, well doesn't even seem like it's worth it to go exactly. through yeah. all that hassle just for an extra 20 horsepower. So, yeah, it's uh, it was a lot of fun. Won a lot of races. Drove it a lot. 
The other thing about the RX-8 that I was really happy about using it on the track is I thought, okay, you know, I'm putting this car on the track. There's always the chance, anything that you're going to drive on the track, you need to be ready to just walk away from it because yeah, anytime something could happen and it's just going to be gone. And I felt pretty comfortable with that at the time because RX-8s were so cheap. There's plenty of them you could find with blown motors. I said, hey, this one goes, I'll just buy another chassis, bolt all my good parts onto it and be good to go. And then I very, as you alluded, I very quickly found out the reality of that was a lot more (laughs) difficult than just the words. Um, so I did, I, uh, was at an event last year. It was almost exactly a year ago now in October, went out there by myself. Usually I go with the full team. Um, so I actually towed a little trailer out there with, uh, some camping gear and, uh, tires first session, first day came around after one hot lap. I uh, didn't get enough heat in the tires going through the S's counterclockwise at Buttonwillow, mm-hmm. which is pretty fast, kind of top of fourth gear back in comes around. Not really worried at this point. Cause it's Buttonwillow. There's nothing to hit at Buttonwillow. Right? right. Well, other than the flag station, that's yeah. right in the middle of where I was. So I did it slid sideways into the flag station, took out the whole right side of the car, bent the chassis, bent the seat, bent me up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, like I said, that reality of swapping everything over, finding another car that was a, a little tougher than I thought, but honestly, Having gone through it, I'd totally do it again because I bought another donor car for 2200 bucks, and that's basically all I've got. We're swapping everything over. But you you didn't, it took you a little bit to find, even find that donor car, didn't it? Yeah, you know, I thought it was going to be super easy because when I bought the first car, they're just everywhere. Like you'd look on Craigslist and there'd be like 10, 15 of them. Right. And I started to be really picky. I really wanted one without a sunroof, much better headroom without the sunroof. It took me, man, I didn't get it until December. It took me two months of searching constantly to find this one. And I actually had to fly up to the Bay Area to buy it, which sight unseen. I talked to the dude a lot. He sent me a lot of pictures and videos and stuff like that. But I knew it had an engine that was going bad. And I was it still a driver though. Like, could you drive it down? And you drove it back. I did drive it back, but it was fingers crossed the whole way. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you purchased a AAA membership <laughs> for the extended towing, just in case. That and... might have been a smart thing to do, but no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, it it was at the point where the engine's almost out, and when they start to lose compression, uh, they get hard to start. Mm-hmm. And so this one took about three to four seconds of cranking to start every nice. single time. So every time you get that sinking feeling in your stomach, like, oh God, it's not starting this every time. Oh God, stop. Yeah, every gas stop. Every This will be it. This will be it. <laughs> right. But middle of the night, drove back from Bay Area down here, made it okay. Um, and then the next week and swapped the engine. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it was, it was, didn't seem all that cool right. at the time. <laughs> now, did you do the swap in your garage that already has a bunch of other crap in it? Or how uh, was yeah. one in the driveway? And So the, with the one car, there's only one car in the garage now. So don't have to have two okay. cars in the garage. Uh, so one car can parallel park in front of the garage door. Mm. Um, so I did. I did it in the garage. I borrowed a hoist from a coworker. And second time that I've done this, it went pretty quick. Um, and most of the neighbors were kind of used to what was going to be happening now. <laughs> did you pass out flyers and warn everybody? <laughs> I, I, I warned at least three people around, like, hey, just so you know. Um, but still, it's like every time I do this, it'll be like right at the crux of trying to get the the thing lined up with the pilot shaft and then here comes a neighbor. Hey man, what you doing? Right. Hey, well, oh, you, oh, well, let me look at that. Oh, and it's like, dude, please just <laughs> go. <laughs> Did you do this yourself? Or you have help. Uh, this one was solo. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. First time, um, I had a little bit of help. Uh, I actually enlisted one of my kids to come try and help and it was more, uh, more stress more work. than help. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you decide to do first? I mean, was it the engine swap first or did you start on the easier stuff just to kind of warm What's, up? How, how much did you even change over? Like, yeah. Was it just an engine or did you change? I'm guessing suspension and some other stuff as well. All yeah. the unbent stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot to change over. So I had some interior pieces that I needed to swap over because I'd got some R3, which is a, a limited edition piece that had some center console, shifter, steering wheel. So I swapped all that stuff over. It had that horribly ugly red and black interior where it's got the red inserts on it. That's kind of a matter of opinion, oh, right? Oh, God, it was so bad. And it's a black car, so it just looked awful. So I swapped the entire interior over. And then, but actually the, the engine and trans were the second thing that I did because the other car was at uh, a friend's race shop, mm-hmm. smashed up, sitting on its good suspension and brakes and everything. So I actually drove the car over to the parking lot where it was sitting and uh, did an afternoon of swapping the shocks and oh springs geez. back and forth and the brakes so that the other car was ready to go. So it had the suspension first and then the engine trans radiator next. That's that's a good amount. I mean, that's dedication. How many weekends was this? Uh, it took about two weekends. That's so, not bad. No. Yeah, it goes pretty quick. Once once you're in the middle of it, it goes pretty fast. And having done, like I said, race the RX-8s, we've had to do engine changes at the track and that kind of thing. So it's not the first time going through it. But it is surprisingly more difficult for a street car when you've got AC and all those other right. things on it. But you could have, and for all, I mean, for all rights, you could have, once you wrecked the, the RX-8, you could have said, screw this, I'm done. 
and gotten a Miata again. You could, I mean, there's a, a number of ways you could have gone, but you're dedicated enough to the RX-8 that you got another one. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a dirtbag when it comes to finances too. So there's a little bit of that. I didn't want to have to buy another set of suspension or anything like that, you know. But at the same time, the car perfectly fit the need. So I had this very specific box that right. I needed to fit fill in that car perfectly fit. Did you sell the wrecked chassis and everything for anything or was it just junk? It was so drunk. It was totally junk. So I... Uh, I took basically everything that you could take off of it and put it for spares for the race team. Okay. Um, and then a recycler took the, the car for free. Oh, nice. Because it actually did bend the chassis completely, popped the airbags, broke the windows. It was it was pretty toasty. Do you have to give, I'm assuming you have to give the title? The DMV or somebody oh, yeah, some yeah, paperwork yeah. or, or yeah. does the, the record take care of it? The that? record takes it. So basically I, I sign it over to them yeah. and then I send in the information to the DMV that, hey, this is the person who has it now. Because I've never bent a street car bad enough that it was a total write-off i've been some that should have been total yeah, right. and what do you <laughs> right? tell your insurance company oh remember that rx8 i don't need to insure that one anymore yeah, i basically said stop charging me and that's it <laughs> okay you didn't try to to make a claim no that and it's it, it kind of goes back to the same thing the car really isn't worth it you know right. so i didn't even have full coverage on the car right but i did make me start looking into track insurance so yeah. there are some companies that have some pretty good track insurance that's a pretty decent deal so i'm probably going to sign up for it i'm going out next weekend to button willow and it's the kind of the anniversary of the track that took the car right. out so i'm gonna hedge my bets on that one that, so that's actually surprising track, yeah i was just gonna say track insurance yeah right? is it like you buy it and it works on all tracks or is it each track has a different policy like it's really interesting the, the ones weekend. that i looked into they're yeah. specific for weekends so it's like weekend events. right so okay. they say okay what kind of car do you have what's your experience what's it worth and then where are you taking it? And it's different for wheel to wheel versus doing like a time trial or right. HPD the type of yeah. Kind of thing yeah so it's surprisingly not terribly unaffordable. So basically about 180 bucks for a weekend of, of time trial. That's not bad. For a car that's I valued at about 7,500 bucks. Right. It's 7,500 bucks based on all the stuff that you have in exactly. it, not based on yeah, it's the yeah. actual vehicle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, that's still, that's pretty impressive. I mean, I, I didn't know, like I know you can get cheap insurance for bikes and other things, yeah. but I've never, I've done a lot of track events and I never would have thought I should get insurance first. I always just kind of said, well, it's, it's on me. That's and where I hope I nothing to. happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a very sobering reality when you have friends coming to drive up to pick you up and put not just your car on a trailer, but the stinking trailer that I brought up to in the back of their truck to take me back home. Yeah. How did that phone call go when you had to call somebody? You know, it's really interesting because I knew the situation that I was in and I knew that there was a bunch of people who had my back. So the first person I call is basically the the team principal of the, the race team that I usually go racing with. And I, I basically said, I, I want to call him to borrow a trailer. I was going to have my wife come pick me up, drive me back that night. I'd pick up his trailer and come up and get the car and everything. Right. And I said, hey, you know, can I borrow your trailer? And he's like, how about we just send somebody to get you? That's and cool. within two and a half hours, somebody was there. So it was really cool having the team really have my back on that right. one. Was that um, the first call you made? Or is it like yeah. you call your wife or you call your team? Like, who do you tell you uh, fucked up first? Oh, I it's had to like... call the team first. I had to give the wife a minute. So it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I called her and I said, hey, just so you know, had a little crash. She goes, oh, did you bend your car? I said, yeah. Oh, man. And she had, and I didn't really tell her because I, I actually got hurt half decently. I yeah. uh, tore an MCL in my leg basically ripping the clutch pedal out, out of the floor. Um, and then I also cracked a couple of ribs on the bolster of the seat when I broke the seat when it came over. And so she really didn't think all that much of it until we got home and I jumped out of the truck and almost fell down because I couldn't put any weight on my leg. Oh man. So yeah, we had a, we had a few little talks about, you know, risk versus reward and all that kind of thing and what it means to be doing this stuff. But at the same time, it's like you said, being an ungrown up, there's, there's, an element to this that brings such balance to life. Yeah. Um, and it's absolutely worth it every time. Well, I think there's, you know, at least for me, there's this huge amount of the, the reward far outweighs the risk with oh, a yeah. lot of this stuff. I'm not the person that goes to a hospital when I get hurt or like even goes to a doctor. I'm like, man, it's fine. I'll walk it off. Um, Pour some Robitussin on it. <laughs> dude, I, well, I broke my arm a couple years ago on a dirt bike ride and I rode another 50 miles afterwards, <laughs> came home. I drove a manual transmission car to my mom's to get an ice pack. Like I'm just, I'm an idiot, but <laughs> <laughs> It is funny, you, you you know, we struggle for that balance, right, between Absolutely. risk and reward. And I think what people like us potentially find the the tolerance of, of that risk level is so much higher. You know, it's interesting, having had that crash, there's, there's always that kind of, I guess you could best call it as denial. It's like, you know, 
I'm in control. I have this control of my destiny. Yes, I think this is probably a possibility, but for the most part, I have trust in my abilities that this isn't going to happen. Right. So there was a very clear moment when I was going sideways and looked out the passenger window to see what, what where I was going to go. And I saw that wall. That whole piece came into very clear focus right. of, okay, you went over the edge. Right. Now it's time to back it down. At the same time, I know what happened. I know how to fix it. Right. So I'm still going to go out there and do it again, but I'm going to take that lesson and, and apply it. So what are you going to do differently this time? Is it just making sure the tires are of the temp better or is it? Yeah, there's there's a couple of big pieces that, that went into it. So the first one was I was in a little bit of a rush. So I drove up there that morning. So I left at three in the morning, um, got up there, didn't think I was going to make the first session because I had to unhook the trailer, put the tires and brakes and everything on the car. Um go to the driver's meeting, come back and I got everything together and I'm like, holy crap, I'm going to make the session. So I run out and get in the session. Uh, first session of the day, like I said, it was colder track than usual. Um, and then the first lap and a half, I was stuck behind this BMW that was just barely moving. So I was getting frustrated. I really wasn't thinking straight. Right. And then as soon as he got out of the way, I went full tilt into the S's and slow lap, cold tires, everything came around. So there's a bunch of lessons to learn, you know, one, get yourself right before you get on the track. You know, every time you go on, have that little talk with yourself. Okay. Right. We're here to play. This is not my job. You know, I'm not going to get paid for this, but I could definitely pay for it. Right. <laughs> um, and then making sure to, to do that mental checklist. Okay. Tires hot. Keep the emotions in check. Doesn't matter. I'm out here to, to have a good time. Was the uh, GoPro footage cool? Uh, no GoPro on that one. Thankfully. That is, I, when you say <laughs> thankfully, I'm going to say that's disappointing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's definitely a GoPro running in my head right now. Right. Of that wall. Yeah. Oh, that crash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a definite learning experience and I've been out six times this year mm. since. And I, I feel like every time I go, there's a, another level of awareness that comes out of it. You take those lessons, you apply them, and then you see that next level when you get to it. So, so has, is the second car, I guess, farther along in terms of how your, the setup is compared to the first one, or have you made improvements since, or is it basically running the same setup you had originally? So, that's interesting because the two cars, like a lot of times with the team that I was on, we'd build two cars and one car would feel absolutely 100% different than right. the other car. And they've got the exact same parts. So this one I put, basically the only change that I made to it was I did a different seat. So in the old car, I had bought a Sparco seat, a reclining Sparco seat. Mm -hmm. And I would bolt that into it for the event because I wouldn't fit with a helmet with a stock seat. In order to fit with the Sparco seat, I had to get rid of the sliders. So it was fixed uh, in there. Right. But I also needed my wife to be able to drive the car uh, when it wasn't racing. So I would have to swap the seat back and forth every single time. So for this one, I actually found a set of uh, R3 seats and bolted those in. Oh, cool. Um, so I bought them used. They were way too much money, but they're really bitching seats. Right. Um, and so I still have adjustability. And, and I those are Recaro's, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's a, it's a sport seat. Yeah. And it does, it has openings for the a four point harness. So I run a four point harness under the stock seat belt mm -hmm. and it's got the, uh, it's got the extender on the one side. So you twist, so you don't submarine underneath it. Right. Like you do with a lot of four point harnesses, but that's really the only difference. Everything else is basically 100% the same and the car feels exactly the same. And it turned almost exactly the same lap time on the same track. I mean, it's kind of nice because it helps from the development standpoint because you don't have to worry about figuring out what it was that changed or how you make up lost time or whatever it could be because of the changes you made with the vehicle. So yeah, exactly. And it, it was, it was really surprising to me because I went out and it was like getting back on that bicycle or motorcycle that feels like home. And it's like right. the first two laps. I was like, Oh wow, this is pretty rad. Here we go. It's cool too, that you didn't find yourself necessarily slower either. I, you know, I, I actually thought about that a lot because when I went out there and I didn't really feel like I was pushing it all that hard and I came back and the lap time was right there. I was like, okay, check. Where, where are we? What right. are we doing? How hard right. are we pushing? You know, but it, it did. It felt, uh, it felt really comfortable. Well, that's cool. Since you have this race experience and since we're ungrownups, what's the most ungrownup thing that you care to admit that you've done behind the wheel? Now this could oh, be as, as a 16 year old showing off to your buddies this could be on a dirt road and there's nobody around and there's some jumps or some whoops. Have you done anything where you're like, <laughs> so statute of limitations is passed, right? So we're good. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's a couple of really stupid things that, that stand out and they all, so I grew up in the Midwest. So back that up. So I grew up in Kansas. So yeah. there's straight flat roads in Kansas. You can see forever and it feels like it takes forever to get anywhere. So as an 18 year old, I had just bought a uh, 89 five liter Mustang hatchback with a five speed. And they'd said that these things would do like 140 miles an hour. So I decided to find out and it turns out, yes, it will. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> 
as I was going about 135, I see a set of taillights up ahead. Oh, no. And I say, okay, let's back this down. I'm not going to go really fast past this guy. As I get up to it, I see that it's a sheriff and I stand on the brakes. Luckily, there's one turnoff up ahead that goes into town. He keeps slowing down. I keep slowing down behind him. He drives past that intersection and I wing it into town and try to start weaving my way in, driving really slow. I'm almost home. And then lights come on behind oh, me. Oh no! <laughs> and I somehow talked my way out of it. I don't know how I did it, but I managed to. I managed to dodge a major bullet on that one. Nice. He knew it was you, or at least he suspected the, the it words was you. that he said. Yeah, he knew it was me, but right. he couldn't prove it, and he right. didn't have anything on the radar gun. And so I was like, "No, I was just here, and I'm going home now." So, oh God! I, I just left Bible study. I'm, <laughs> I'm heading I promise home. Everything's good. I was feeding the homeless. Yeah, that's yes. funny. My my son asked me the other day because we were. Talking So for my birthday, we're heading out to Europe and we'll be driving uh, through Germany, the Czech Republic, Austria. Oh, yeah. So we'll be, we'll be traveling on the Autobahn. And I was telling my son how some of the stretches will be unrestricted yeah. for speed limit. So then he was like, well, how fast have you driven? I'm like, well, on the times I've been to Germany, I've driven roughly <laughs> 130, 140 miles per hour. And he's like, how fast have you driven here in the States? <laughs> <laughs> and that was like, uh, well, there's been some times driving on the 15 out to Las Vegas <laughs> or I've done triple digits. Yeah. And he's like, really? Like, how fast? What car? I was like, uh. We're not talking about Yeah. <laughs> I won't talk about where it's illegal to do those things. But when we get to Germany later this year, I will show him how it is possible to do triple digits. And it's perfectly fine. And you're actually just moving with traffic, if anything. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be cool. I, well, I, I once got pulled over in my own driveway. Uh, I couldn't even leave. I didn't didn't even get out of my driveway before I got stopped. So it wasn't even like you had just made it home in the nick of time. You no. hadn't even left. Right, I hadn't even left. So the neighborhood that we lived in at the time, like, you know, I had a the car I was driving had a 67 Mustang with, you know, probably 12-inch glass packs, and it seemed good enough at the time. Yeah. But you'd go through in first gear. Of course. And people would get pissed off and think you're going 1,000 <laughs> because it's loud. If I shifted to second, the car would die. I mean, that's just life. yeah. yeah. So these people would bitch and complain, and apparently they called the cops enough that they heard me start the car and whoop, pulled up and blocked Jeez. me into the driveway and just said, listen, we know it's you. We know you're the guy that we're getting calls about. You're causing problems. I was like, I'm not causing problems. The guy three, three doors down or three streets over, he's ripping up sections of the pavement with his Camaro. I'm not doing anything. Yeah. But, you know, of course, we got this big talking to, and he's like, I'm going to catch you one day. I was like, Okay. okay, like great. Yeah. And if so I, I do anything it, illegal, I made you. it a point 25 in that neighborhood <laughs> everywhere I went in, in first, first year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, fine. I'm going to be as obnoxious as possible now. That car, though, was so loud. I remember trying to sneak out once and I pushed it out of my neighborhood. I pushed it from my dad's house out of my neighborhood, started it up. And at the time, this will date me, but my beeper went off. <laughs> like immediately I get a page and called my dad and like, well, what's up? I said, well, where do you think you're going? It's like, no, nowhere. I was just tuning the engine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to do anything nefarious. probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Allegedly. But, yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> but it was pretty funny. I and mean, that thing was, it was pretty loud. I love that car. Before you came on, you mentioned that you went for a ride this morning and you PR'd. So are you doing some other type of racing as well? Uh, well, kind of. So I got been dabbling with uh, mountain bike racing. So I, uh, I originally got into mountain biking to stay in shape for motocross. I did a lot of motocross racing when I was younger. And then when career started coming up, there's a lot less time to ride. So started getting into mountain biking. Um, so for the past couple of years, there's a uh, Tuesday night summer series that runs at Irvine Lake. So I've been doing a lot of those. So I've been doing a lot of, uh, a lot of pedaling and uh, got a new bike recently. Also a, a sad story on that one. Um, but so I got to take my new bike out this morning and ride a pretty rad trail called the Luge, which is fairly local to here. So it's a, basically a seven or eight mile climb followed by a really rad two mile descent that goes down a a shoot that's called the luge. Um, so I did, I managed to take the new bike out and set some personal records going up and down the hill. So it's kind of like the same thing. It's kind of like the same thing as the racing is you get to push yourself, you get out in nature a little bit, get some exercise and still have a good time. How are you on Strava? Is that what you're doing? I was going to say, yeah. How are you keeping track of your PR? Like where's your start point end point? Like how do you know where the improvements are coming from? Yeah, Strava is a super rad app. So if, for any cyclist that's serious, they're probably on Strava. So do you even Strava, bro? Yeah, mm-hmm. you can. Um, but it keeps track of segments so you can compare not only yourself, but also everybody else who's recording themselves on that segment in Strava. So you can see your progression over time or regression. As is Strava the one that also does like the, the flyover, like where it kind of shows you the route, like on Google maps and shows you as you progress. Oh, that's re, yeah, re that's something. Yeah. Cause yeah. It, my, my, uh, my brother's a marathoner. And yeah. so sometimes he'll post his runs yeah. and it, you click on it and it kind of 
you see where he ran because he, he right. does a lot of trail running. Yeah. So you see these off-road hills and stuff that he's going through. And it's kind of interesting to see. It attracts like the elevation change. Yeah, Strahl will show you a map, but it won't show you the like uh, flyover. Yeah, yeah flyover okay. of it. But so <laughs> Strava kind of cracks me up with some of the people. There's okay. uh, Portola. You've done Portola. Oh, yeah. So I know this is not the nicest thing to do. And so for people that are listening, this, these are all places. Yeah, these are all in, local places. In, yeah, Southern yeah. California and Orange County, California. These are local mountain biking trails. But you're welcome to about. come out. Portola is a, a road that you a road bike up it, and it's fairly steep. It's a good climb. But I really want to take the motorcycle oh, and turn yeah. Strava on, but not do anything crazy. Just do slightly above human capability. <laughs> right? So they're not going to be like, well, that's impossible because Strava will weed out some of the stuff. Yeah. So I want to do it where it's like just, well, may, maybe that happened, but maybe not, right? Just to screw with everybody. What do you think that speed threshold is? Like uphill going like 10 miles an well, hour? you've or? got guys like if they're running Tour de France, they're climbing yeah. like they're climbing through, you know, some fairly steep terrain at 20, 25. Okay. So probably 35-ish would be in the ridiculous range, I would guess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like that, uh, the, the people that use Pokemon Go in the car. But if you're moving too fast, it cuts it off and doesn't. it knows that you're not actually walking. I have a friend that is Pokemon Go obsessed, so don't get me started because oh I will just lose it. I, I don't understand it. When the app came out, like that first week when everybody was outside right. walking, I did that with my son because it was kind of cool. Then after that, I was like, okay, I don't get the point of this. <laughs> but the idea of, of faking it to to get the points or the, the, the levels unlocked, right. seeing people creeping in their parking lot, going at... Faster than walking speed, but not fast enough so the app locks them out Dude, is what made me suck. think of your, your Strava thing with trying to get a motorcycle, trying to go uphill to to uh, trip some people well, out. Every time I see the traffic circle over here, you'll see these big groups. Oh, and right. every time I go by, I'm like, there's no way they're, and this is recent, like it'll be, they're, they're not Pokemon going or whatever they're doing, right? And sure enough, you go by and there's 15 dorks with their battery packs. I'm, I apologize, everybody. There's more isolation, I told you. Uh, I just don't get it. Like I, I, I do a lot of really weird nerdy stuff, but that is a level that I just can't get. But you into. know, I, I can't knock the gamification of fitness, right? Getting outside no, and, and walking that part I get. Right. And that's exactly why like my friend's husband, he's not mad because now she goes out and like, she's walking all over the place and like yeah. constantly doing this stuff, but she's just obsessed. Jamie, I'm talking to you. <laughs> You're obsessed. <laughs> And she'll Call she'll out. know. Oh yeah, for sure. No, because every time like I'll go visit they live in Seattle, I go visit. Complaints can just... be sent to ungrownups at <laughs> ungrownups.com. So so just so you know, we've got uh, Taco Time, Taco Bell, the Dollar Tree, the, yeah, oh. the Dollar and Tree, Walmart. the ninety nine cent store, Walmart, and now uh, Pokemon players that will all hate us. Yeah, yeah. We're adding to our shit list. Yeah, we're it's just gonna track list, actually. Yeah, right. I mean, it's 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 a good one. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm okay with it. Um. Yeah, so with the, the mountain bike you alluded to, or I guess we had sort of talked about, you just got a new bike. Is this your first ride on the new bike? No, I've put a three, four rides on it so far, yeah. um, but I'm still getting used to it. This one has a little bit more uh, suspension travel than the last one that I had. Is it a hardtail or is it full suspension? Oh, no, full suspension, bro. Oh. Full send. Um, it's a uh, 140 mil rear, 150 front. Which for people that like don't me? know metric system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's basically a six inch travel bike. Okay. Um, it's a good amount. For is me. it a 29 inch? 29 inch. Yeah. I'm a pretty tall dude. So the 29 er works really well for me. Um, and this bike, uh, it's, uh, it's a little more, uh, blingy than I've done in the past. So I, I kind of decided to treat myself a little bit on this one. So it's a full carbon frame. It's a little bit lighter than the last one. Uh, the last bike that I had had some pretty red geometry, but a little less suspension travel, um, and a little heavier. So this one's a little bit lighter, a little more travel pedals, a little bit better. So it's been pretty fun to get out there and crush some PRs on Strava. And so when you're, so like with your car, you kind of explained why you picked the RX-8 with your new mountain bike. Was this a research thing? You're like, okay, I know I want this, this, and this because of whatever, like you needed a bike that met certain criteria or was this just the prettiest one you could find? Yeah. <laughs> the one with the most carbon fiber. Yeah, right. I'll admit to being a, uh, a full-on spec nerd when it comes to almost everything, including bicycles. Um, so I did. I had a really uh, a really solid idea of what I wanted. I had the last bike pretty well pretty well dialed, but on some of the trails that I've been riding, I've been kind of thinking about a little more travel. Mm. I've been kind of thinking about something that pedals just a little bit better. Um, so you got the electronic assist e-bike. So that's where I was going to say is like instead of the motorcycle, that's where you get is the uh, the 
a pedal assist bike, a right. e-bike to, to fly up there and then piss everybody else off on Strava. But no, I did. I, I completely geeked out on, on everything. And I was trying, I, so I knew this is what I wanted. I tried to find one locally. None of the bike shops had them locally, but a lot of the bikes, uh, manufacturers are doing direct orders now. Right. So really? I was able to order it direct from the shop there in Seattle. Do they um, have to send it to a bike shop to be assembled or will no, they actually send it to your doorstep? Dude, that was the best part about it. So they send you a bike in a box and it's all of the parts for the bike and it's all of these rad parts. So it was like, so you, you built it. I built it. Yeah. It's like the absolute cool. best Christmas cool. I've ever had. Cause every time you pull it out and they've got all the part wrapped up, it's like, Oh, it's this rad part. Oh, it's another one. Oh, That's another awesome. one. Oh, and there's a bike to bolt them all onto. So it was like literally the best day that I've had in a couple of years, just taking this bike out of the box. The best day he's had in a couple of years. He had two kids, wife. <laughs> yeah. They all do stuff together. The best day was building his bike. I'm just, that's just what you said. Yeah, but I mean, you can kind of understand so, it. So I mean, let's say it's my the best, the best uh, wheel sports yeah, motor yeah. day. You guys both no, have yeah. the same issue with like <laughs> building stuff, right? So your your Lego high was his mountain bike assembly oh, high. Yeah, I'm, but I I like. I mean, same thing. Like, if there's something cool in your building, whatever it is, it's a motorcycle or car, it doesn't matter. Like, that's it's fun. It's so, did really you get cool. the same brand bike as you had previously, or did you go? You just tell us what'd you get. Yeah, so, well, I got a. Uh, it's an Evil offering. So, it's a. Uh, the brand is called Evil. They've been around for a while, but they kind of had a re uh, a re beginning uh, not that long ago under new ownership. And then the other one was a transition. So, both of these companies are actually based in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they build some pretty uh, pretty burly bikes for the terrain up there. So I'm pretty stoked to still buy an American bike. It's not right. built in China or anything like that. That's cool. But also fast shipping from Seattle, which was nice. So they're, bu- they're building the frames here? Uh, the frame's the only thing that's assembled offshore. Okay. I, I know this might be a hurdy question. I'll poke you a little bit. Hurdy. Hurdy. That feels like a good word. Painful? There you go. Painful. Painful. Thank you. Yeah. One of us knows English. Uh, <laughs> what prompted a new bike? He crashed it. Oh, sadly not a crash. Almost as bad because I still have personal responsibility for this one. But some damn dirty thief stole my old bike off my porch. Why was your bike on your porch? Because that's not usually where most people keep their bikes. So, And that's not usually where that bike ends up either. So like I said, there's some personal responsibility on this one. So we live in this Orange County gated neighborhood, right? So you feel pretty safe. You know all your neighbors. And there's usually a gate closed to keep the riffraff out and all that kind of thing, which I'm not super, super stoked on. But at the same time, there's a level of security that you feel that comes from that. To keep us out, Matthew. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure most of his neighbors are probably on next door. The the LC from the OC is probably his neighbor. They're all complaining. Yeah. 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 But a bunch of the neighbors have the the ring doorbells, so they're getting much more popular. So it was Friday, and several neighbors caught the same dude like walking on people's porches and just kind of looking around. So I felt like there was a creeper in the neighborhood. So usually when I go ride, I just ride out of the garage, leave the garage open, come home, and ride right into the garage. So knowing that there was somebody out there, I said, oh, we're going to close the garage this time. So closed the garage, went for my ride, came back home. And was out of my element as usual, out of the out of the routine, and just pulled up onto the porch. And I'd done a pretty big ride and kind of crushed myself a little bit. So I just ran inside, tried to hydrate, drank a bunch of water, and then absolutely forgot it was out there. So wake up the next morning, start going through like the work routine. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then like the light switch came on. My bike's on the porch. Oh, oh shit. And I ran downstairs, gone. So I half hoped like like one of the neighbors saw it and grabbed it for me, but no. Well, maybe they might have grabbed it for me, but they just didn't give it back. Right. That feeling is horrible. Oh, I was so mad. And so, you know, it's, there's, like I said, there's that personal responsibility. Yes, I should have known. I shouldn't have left my stuff out. But at the same time, some a-hole took something that they knew wasn't theirs, you know? So it's like that whole societal thing. It's like, it's still not cool to take other people's stuff, but there's also responsibility to protect your stuff. Sure. But anytime you come back and it's that the second you realize that, oh no, it could be gone. Yeah. And then you realize it is gone. Like that, the way your stomach feels. Like if you some well, bike stolen. I was going to say, no, no. I, I haven't had like a bike stolen. But the, the other thing that I think that kind of adds more to the punishment of the fact is the fact that, okay, it's a gated community. So the only people that are in there are either residents or guests of the residents, right? right? right. So then you're going like, what kind of slime bag would, would come in right. and, and do right. this? But yeah, it's... it's or somebody it's, jumped the fence. Which yeah, is, and that's definitely a possibility. You right. can jump the fence there if you really wanted to. But you'd have to want to and know right. what you're doing. Well, that's not, I mean, I, I know where you live and I wouldn't, I, maybe I just don't have a There won't be any brain, bikes on the porch just so you yeah, know, so right. they come out. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, I, I would never like be going by that place and go, oh, that's where I want to go. Like there's much easier places yeah, right. to go steal yeah. stuff from. And dude, I, I've have had a bike stolen and I'm still bitter about it, by the way. Yeah. I had a, and this is, this will take us way back. I had a GT performer. Oh, oh yeah. And it was, it was uh blue with 
pink and white sp- uh, splatter paint on it. Oh, it was one of my dude, favorite bikes so I've rad. ever had. I loved that thing. White seat, white wheels, I was gonna white say, tires. White, I know that. Oh, it was I amazing. remember that bike. Yeah. Were yep. they mags? Mag wheels? Mag wheels. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And I loved that thing. And I same. I I don't know. I mean, you're kids. Like you don't really think about stuff. I leaned it up against uh, a train store. This was like a toy train store. That sounds weird, but it was a yeah. thing in Costa Mesa. Ran inside for maybe, maybe thirty seconds. Oh. Ran back outside, gone. Oh, dude. And I was, I mean, at the time, in tears. I'm assuming. Well, and I, I was saying, like, at the time, that was a six hundred dollar bike. Then that's yeah. big time. What were you it like, was crazy yeah. expensive, right? What were you like thirty? No, <laughs> wasn't thirty. Uh, I was, I don't know, in I guess the equivalent of middle school, maybe yeah. maybe fifth or sixth grade, right? I mean, that was an expensive bike at the time. Oh yeah, and to have that thing get stolen, I just I felt so stupid, but also like that was my prized possession of the world. Like I can't oh, believe yeah. my parents bought it for me to begin right. with, right? I love that thing. All all the flatland tricks you wanted to do, yeah. Was the bike to and do. you find yourself like looking out for it, like, yeah. You know, well, when you see somebody on it or see if you recognize it, I'm fairly certain I know where it went. But yeah, what are you worse. gonna do about it now? Right. Yeah, yeah. It was it was. Oh man, what a freaking travesty, dude. There's nothing worse than getting a bike stolen, especially as a kid. I mean, right. As an adult, yeah, you can make some hay out of it. Yeah, treat myself, get a little bit better bike. That's pretty rad. But God, as a kid, well, you know, kid, you're not getting it back. I mean, that was you don't your, have insurance as a kid either, right? Well, and it's it's basically you're, you're this is in our age that was pre-internet, right? Kids didn't have cell phones. That's that was your that was your social media. You got on that bike to right. ride to a friend's house or right. to go to the park or whatever. So without that bike, you were kind of sol. You were just stuck. Were you guys ever into RC cars as a kid? Oh, yeah. Still I was, yeah. a little bit. See, yeah. I was always into the electric ones because for me, they were way cheaper and easier yeah. to I, deal with. But I had buddies with nitro, but I was always envious of the nitro experience, even though realistically, those cars were broken more than they exactly. ever actually ran. I never had a nitro car until I was an adult, only because I couldn't, like my parents weren't yeah. going to buy me one. They're really expensive. They're yeah. always broken. And to your point, it was always busted. So, but it's, it's interesting, you know, as kids, we had the electric, but now for motorcycles, that same generation is like, no, no, we still want the gas. Right. So it's interesting how kind of things change depending on where you started, I guess. Have you guys ever dicked around with drones? Oh yeah. We have, <laughs> I've, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you laugh because what? You have a closet full of them? Or no, 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 no. I don't have a closet full. I never gotten like the really. Do you have? You have a drone? Yeah, we've got a couple. My wife's a photographer, so right. she got okay, a couple so. to use for uh, realty shoots. Yeah, which is cool. She never really figured out how to fly it, so I was doing the flying for you. The pilot. Yeah. Actually, my son, the older son, is a much better pilot than I am. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. Are these the type of drones where you're using like the smartphone as the video contr- to see what the drone is seeing and everything like that? So, yeah, the, the smartphone is just basically a monitor. And okay. then it's got a full-on controller for everything else. My brother-in-law, one of the, my brother-in-laws, had gotten a drone for Christmas. And I, I, I think a couple months went by. I was like, hey, have you used it? I don't know. It was Christmas or his birthday. I was like, hey, have you have you used it yet? No. And we were over at his house swimming and drinking and you know doing yeah, the whole so. thing. I was like, just get the stupid drone out. So we charge the drone, we get the drone out, and we're we're taking turns kind of flying it around, and it's going okay, right? It's a more simple drone. It's not like a super crazy, like yeah. complicated one. And it's going fine. And then eventually I ended up, I could I figured out how to fly it over the pool, which freaked everybody out. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's gonna immediately go in the pool. It didn't. It ends up getting up on the roof. So he goes up on the <laughs> roof. Like I can't, it's turned upside down or something on the roof. I think that's like homing device for drones. They Basically. find the roof and flip upside Shit down. Yeah. So so he goes up there and gets it, and I go, Aaron, just hold it out. And he holds it out and I I go to take off. And I don't know if the battery and the transmitter died or what exactly happened, but it just goes straight up, probably about 45 feet, and then just goes. <laughs> And it and you <laughs> to chase after it. Yeah, well, we just kind of all were we weren't sure what was happening, so we were all just staring at it as it flew off into nowhere. <laughs> and I mean you just watch this drone get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And Some then we, kids like, I got a drone. We ended up in the car driving around trying to find it. We never found it. To the point I felt so bad I bought him a new one. The drone oh. had enough. It's like, nope, I'm done. Yeah, oh. it was it was over it. But it was hilarious because it went up and then just straight out. All right, so shifting gears a little bit. Now we're going to talk about things that we want or got. And one of the things that I saw on social media that I was actually kind of surprised about, but totally gave me childhood flashbacks, is an ice cream scoop of all things. So growing up in Southern California, there was a there was a brand um, called Thrifty. Yep. And they had an ice cream counter. For the record, best ice cream ever. The coolest thing about when you went into these stores as a kid and ordered ice cream was the ice cream scoop didn't scoop up little balls of ice cream like you would traditionally expect. It actually put out cylinders of ice cream. The easiest way I can say it is like a can of soda, but just half as tall. So what I'm picturing is like 
when you've got the can of soup or can of dog food and turn it upside down and it holds the shape when it hits the bowl. It's, it's kind of like, like that. <laughs> yeah. Minus the, the, uh, the can shape on the outside. <laughs> I'm a mint chip guy for the record. That is my go-to ice cream. See, my go-to is strawberry. Because like, no matter where you go, they, they don't ever fuck it up, right? So, well, they some do because they yeah. put strawberries in it. No, I see. I like I like the fresh frozen uh, fruit in it. But some places, like you know, you get mint chip or something like that. They either go too minty or too much on the chocolate chip, or there's some other things. But strawberry, it's much like vanilla. You can't really screw up a vanilla. Maybe if you, well, I guess for some people, it's French vanilla or vanilla yeah, I guess, bean. I guess but, you could. Yeah, what, I guess, what ice cream do you like? Peanut butter. Peanut butter chocolate. Ooh, that's a good peanut butter is pretty damn good. It's hard to hard to mess that one up. Yeah. So is it like a Reese's flavored, like Reese's peanut butter cup flavor, or is it literally just called peanut butter chocolate? Pretty much anything that has that says peanut butter chocolate in it, I'll go for. I'm not a really big sweets guy either, but right. if I'm going to go for it, that's where I go for. Do you uh, <laughs> Do you have a specific brand? I don't know why I find that hilarious, but is there like a Are specific... you an ice cream brand snob? Yeah, are, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. No. It's, it, it is. It's one of those things. It's like if, if it's there and everybody's getting it, and I feel like it and I'll get it most likely, but I, I don't care enough about it to have a strong preferences. So, okay, so you're talking about this ice cream scoop that you want. Yeah, $20 nostalgia trip, basically. We know what Nathan's most recent purchase was, even though it was maybe an unprompted purchase. It was very fulfilling still. But hey, then that's how it should be, right? I'm actually slightly jealous. So what's on the the wish list besides the bike? So uh, still uh, two-wheel related. I've uh, recently kind of gotten into uh, enduro riding. So I bought a really cheap enduro bike. So I'm lusting pretty bad after a uh, KTM EXC500, the new enduros it's like basically a full-on dirt bike for the street so if you really wanted to you could actually still take it out to a motocross track any reason you'd want the ktm over the husqvarna so i thought the husky it was a 450 not a 500 that's a 501 technically is what they market it as and i only know this because i have one downstairs oh very nice so I'll be uh, selling your garage a little later. Any anything that draws you to the one over the other? I did. I like the suspension setup on the uh, the KTM a little bit better. It has the spring fork instead of the air fork. Right. Um, and they did a little bit more work on the KTM with the frame, um, so it doesn't have the carbon rear subframe. It's got a aluminum subframe, which right. makes it a little more compliant. Um, so that's the one that's been winning all the shootouts. So like I said, I uh, I geek out on all the specs and and the shootouts. So that's where I'm at. So is there anything on your your uh, want to get it list? Oh man, there's so much stuff. You know, it's funny. So after we had that. You and I have that conversation around kind of like, you know, birth year timepieces and things. I've sort of put that back on the radar. Um, but right now, what I'm really looking at is a new SLR. I had to get my picture taken for work. And the uh, the photographer shows up with a SLR. And I saw deal. those photos you posted. Those oddly on It was like a weird glamour shots. It's a, it's a, he shot with a, a Hasselblad. He was shooting me with a $50,000 camera setup. I think if I was to get back into SLR, I might go with more of the compact SLR. So like the, the Sony option, if only because of the fact that it's smaller and I'm more likely to bring it with me. Since the holidays, I guess, are sort of coming up. I mean, if you go yeah. into like any store right now, the Christmas displays are out on full display. Which, for the record, we're filming this. It's not even Halloween. Or yeah. filming. We're recording, recording this. Yeah, it's not even Halloween. So it kind of sucks. Christmas crap yeah. I, I put up my, my Halloween decor last weekend or the weekend before. Mm-hmm. And I went to go to Lowe's to see if there was anything else I could add to the Halloween decor. There was nothing left Halloween related. It was full-fledged Christmas in the store. The reason why I bring that up, do you guys have family members or somebody go, hey, can you give me a list of what you want for Christmas kind of thing? Or do people just know what to get you guys? You know, it's interesting for adults in our family. Gifts aren't a big thing anymore. You guys doing the white elephants? stuff or just we really nothing. don't even really get anybody get each other anything we we send cards like to the the people that are off in the middle of nowhere yeah um but when we get together it's about the kids and not the adults yeah it's kind of the same in mine but we do white down phone actually though yeah so we have on christmas eve my stepdad's family all gets together and we do this thing it's like it it's it started out as white elephant but now it's anything under i think it's 50 dollars and I usually end up buying a really nice bottle of scotch. And so everybody, it's all, and it's every all year unmarked. you come home with a really nice bottle <laughs> yeah. of scotch. It's all unmarked though, right? So right, you right. don't know what's what. And then we have a thing where you get to steal. Yeah. Something so you it, stole it is white elephant ones. basically. Yeah, yeah, but it's nicer stuff. It's yeah. not like one year for white elephant. We ended up with a picture frame. I don't know who it was, my mom or myself or myself to somebody ended up, ended up with this picture frame. And in the picture frame was a photo of a guy and nobody knew who it was. Well, I figured it out. It was son of Sam. And oh so, yeah, which, <laughs> Which is pretty messed up, Jesus. but it was this gaudy, ugly picture frame with this thing. So I actually ended up taking the photo out and it was on really nice like paper. I put a, a hook in it and son of Sam hung on our Christmas tree for like <laughs> six years. That's right. Before finally somebody went, 
the hell is this? And I had to explain it. I was like, oh, this is going to be uncomfortable. So the reason why I ask is because like with my immediate family, we'll do that. We'll just do a white elephant gift exchange or right. whatever. But for my in-laws or whatever, and it's more for my birthday, which is also in December. My birthday is the 11th. Right. I'll get an email saying, hey, what kind of things would you like for your birthday? But I always hate giving a list because I don't want necessarily to know exactly what I'm getting. So if somebody says, what do you want? I'll give them like examples or choices. But anyways, the reason why I was asking, I was just kind of seeing if you guys were already starting to put together mental lists of crap you hope people get you for the holidays or not. No, and I don't know if this applies to you, but I am I have never been the kind of person that's like, I'm not going to get, right? I just get stuff. So my family finds yeah, it really hard. I to, just buy to what do I it. want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which, hey, that's fine. So now it's just, we don't really do gifts for adults either. Um, You might get, you know, my brother-in-law bought me, a, uh, my sister, I should say, bought me a really nice kitchen knife. Oh, so there, there'll, there'll be some thought that goes into yeah. stuff, but we don't really, there's no list of, hey, give me, you know, it's mostly what do the kids want? Yeah. And then the kids end up getting whatever they get anyways. And I, I kind of feel sorry for the, my son because when we were kids, we would have the Toys R Us catalog and the, these huge toy catalogs getting sent to the house and you could dog ear the pages, right. circle what it is. Well, it's As a target kid, one now. Scrolling through the yeah. internet and copying and pasting hyperlinks just isn't is, quite as much fun. All you got to do is go to Amazon and build your list. That's what our kids do every year. And they, they'll spend hours just looking at toys, just That's going so through funny. it. And but that doesn't stuff seem it. as much fun. I mean, just, I think it's exactly the same thing. It's just a different media. Yeah, yeah true. well, it must be, right? Because that's, but that's all they know. But yeah. see, the weird thing yeah. for me is like certain things I know are more expensive on Amazon than otherwise. Like Legos typically are marked up on Amazon right. uh, versus, you know, targeted Toys R Us when it was around and things of that nature. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting in most cases you can find better deals on amazon but not always i gotta actually since we're talking about prices on stuff i got a hot a hot tip for you uh, if you go to target next time and you're gonna buy some legos scan them with the target app oh yeah because i actually ended up saving 10 bucks yeah they, the were, cartwheel, they were cheaper the online app. oh, oh. No, wow. they were cheaper on on Target's website. Oh yeah, and then and you, so I just said, yeah. "Hey, right," and they marked it down. Yeah, it's oh, kind of a pain right, in the ass. Yeah. I've done it before. I, I picked up a, a Nintendo game or something like that in store, but I the reason why I went to the store to pick it up was because I saw it online on Target.com for a certain price. Right. I go in and it was like five bucks, ten bucks more, but they can't adjust it at the register. You have to pay whatever the the price is, then walk up to customer service. Oh man! Then they That's, look at it. Yeah. They refund it, and then they charge you the adjusted price. So it's a doable? Well, they didn't do that to me. I walked up. The guy goes, can I just give you cash? This is too much of a pain in the ass. I said, oh, yeah, that's cool. cool. And so he punched some stuff and gave me cash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In my case, it was a pain in the ass. Yeah. But whatever. You're saving, saving five bucks, ten bucks. Ten bucks ten bucks. Yeah. When you're uh, temporarily retired, <laughs> ten bucks is, is a lot. That's a lot of ramen, kids. <laughs> That's a fancy feast at Del Taco. Right? Yeah. So before we wrap this whole thing up, and one thing we didn't give Nathan the chance to do was kind of who you are and what your background is, and you don't have to give us the whole story or you don't have to tell us anything you don't want to tell us, but... What makes you an ungrown-up? Yeah, what do you think, knowing what you know and what we've limitedly shared, you know, how do you fit into this whole thing? It's interesting because it's like... Um... There's obviously quite a bit of shared interest when it comes to cars, motorcycles, all that kind of stuff. Right. But at the same time, there's a lot of people that are into cars and motorcycles that I have very different uh, opinions of than them and don't get along with them at all. Right. <laughs> so it's there's that kind of uh, that kind of unspoken thing where you see the world in a similar way. Right. Having uh, known you and been around you, it's like it's one of those things where it's very easy. And as you come across it and you you say this is how it is, and I'm, yes, that's exactly how it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't I can't articulate why a lot of the times right. you know but it's just an, an outlook on life and a, a way of, of moving through this world and the way that you see it that uh that makes a lot of sense to me if i could uh, identify where that came from it'd be a lot easier in life socially <laughs> well, it'd be easier for us too to try to articulate right. why we say we're on grown-ups because we right. don't mean it as necessarily a derogatory thing but right. it's just it's who we are yeah well, and, that, and that's what's hard is to explain to somebody, I guess, to what you just said, Nathan, is, is where did that happen? Right. right. And that's that's really hard to, I don't know, to articulate for anybody. But you you actually said something funny to me in an email that I got from you. Um, we'd sent you an email before the show, and you mentioned that you don't feel like you ever progressed past eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, I, which I think is, I'm like a 40-year-old eighth grader still. Which is perfect. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I know for me personally, like <laughs> mentally, I think of myself somewhere being like 20-something, 27 right. or whatever. Just at, as at a mental best. state. Yeah. yeah. What, you know, I'll, I'll go, like, I meet people all the time and I'll, like, go to shows and stuff. And, you know, you'd be hanging out and, or I'll be at a bar and meet somebody. And I find out inevitably they're 23, 24, 25. And I'm like, I'm 40. And like, <laughs> you feel like, like, I have people tell me, oh, we thought you were 25 or like 30. I'm like, have you, did you look at me? Because <laughs> it's dark in there. Yeah. It's a, it's a rough 25. <laughs> but I guess, like, you know, 
I don't feel like I grew up necessarily. You said you grew up in the Midwest. Yeah. What was kind of your childhood like, I guess, that led you to that spot to kind of freeze at that spot in time? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I, and I do. I kind of wish I could kind of put a finger on it and, and point out, here's here's what made me me, you know? But I think the biggest part of it is freedom kind of came. Right. It's like, you've got a bike, you can get off the block and you can kind of do your thing. And that's where all of a sudden I was responsible for myself and I could do whatever I wanted. And I was like, this is pretty rad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it kind of stuck. It's kind of been like that ever since. It's right. like adventures are fun. Being able to thrill myself is fun. Getting those uh, pushing limits on various uh, mediums is pretty pretty cool. And it kind of kind of stuck right there, man. So your kids the the same? Like do your kids have that same sense of adventure, or is there something that, that yeah? I mean, is there anything what, that you think you can do to intentionally give them that same sense of wonder and adventure that you have? You know, it's it's something that I think about a lot because I've got such a different upbringing than they do. So they right. they've only known Southern California and they've known a gated community. And they're Dad's such an asshole, right? <laughs> that guy's always telling me to do homework and eat my vegetables. Um, and he's got weird friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. Creepy yeah. Uncle Ryan. <laughs> yeah, that's it's even creepier if you know about the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest thing that I try to put on them is um, that they're in control of themselves. Um, so they have direction. They have ownership. They right. they the decisions they make are going to affect them for their entire lives. So the more that they understand that now and the more that they're able to figure out what that means for them and what they care about, the better. So that's the biggest thing for me as a parent is to push them into into that ownership of life is not just walk through it and be passive about it, but to live it with passion and to follow their own passions, whatever they are. You said something that's interesting because you said you used Hot Wheels and I guarantee you between the three of us, we can all remember a fond memory around Hot Wheels. And I'll, I'll tell you mine. My grandfather traveled a lot for work when I was a little kid. And every time he'd go somewhere, he'd bring me a Hot Wheel. There's a specific day that I remember that was just like stands out more than any of the rest of them. But I remember he came home and he had this overcoat and he pulled out one Hot Wheel. And that was it. He's like, oh, it's, you know, it's all you got. And I don't know why. But I figured there was more to it. And By the coat, Grandpa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he ended up, there was like 30 Hot Wheels. Oh, and right. it was just this cool thing. Every single one of them was like, oh my God. He's like, that's it. That's all I got. Two minutes later, it's like this weird magician, right? He keeps <laughs> pulling his Hot Wheels out. But I remember that day, right? That wasn't necessarily what lit off my car experience. I think I know where that happened. But it was such a cool thing that I shared with my grandfather that have a good Hot Wheel memory. Oh, yeah. The big thing for us was when we were little kids, we got a, an allowance. And so you had to tithe a portion and save a portion. So you had a dollar left over and Hot Wheels were 99 cents. So every Saturday when you got your allowance, you got taken to Walmart and got to go look at all of the Hot Wheels and picking. It was super rad. That's awesome. And Hot Wheels are just so cool. I've still got some of them that are just like cherish the memories that I had with those things. Do you you ever get the, uh, what's the other, the Mattel one? Yeah, matchbox. Yeah, matchbox. Nah, doesn't count. Come on, get it a Hot Wheels. You know what's funny? There's really they're now built by the same company. It's but for all intents and purposes, they're both toy cars. Yeah. Why does Hot Wheel carry so much more value? The Hot Wheels just rolled better. They had better wheels. They were a little bit heavier, and they just they had so much better action. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I, I I can't really recall like I remember playing Hot Wheels everywhere, like in the sandbox, right. which was great for the axles and stuff. But playing with them everywhere to the point where the paint was chipping off, and some of them we would try to intentionally get all the paint off, so it was just raw metal. Right. We have a a friend, I think all of us in common that also maybe worked at the same company we all worked at and he's just recently has given his own kid oh, his old hot wheels that's and yeah. that's super awesome something that he played with as a kid now his kid's playing with him yeah that's, this that's plymouth duster rad. is awesome isn't it son <laughs> what <laughs> I bet you can find a new Plymouth Duster Hot Wheel if you want. Probably, to. probably. Yeah. The car guys that we all know, they all have like a Hot Wheels story in some way, shape, or form. Right. Guarantee you there's somebody that grew up playing with Hot Wheels and now they work at Hot Wheels, and that's like the best job. The ever. coolest thing oh, yeah. ever, right? But there's probably a moment in your life what solidified you on cars, right? Do you know what that is? Maybe do you know what that moment was? My dad worked at dealerships, so he was in sales and finance and insurance. So he was my same dad. Yeah. Same with my dad, I should say. Not my same dad. That didn't make same sense. Same dad. No, yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> Be a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> Brother? <laughs> That's where the connection came from. Right, exactly. <laughs> he was always bringing home demos. So he's always have always would have a demo and would drive them like an absolute asshole That's constantly. Awesome. So, like a rental car. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Well, it's so, not his. Uh, yeah. 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 And I remember he had a Firebird demo one time and me and my little brother in the backseat. And I remember seeing the speedometer and it's like 130 on the freeway. <laughs> and this was in the era of those pretty rad little Shelby turbos and that yeah. kind of stuff too. So he had a couple of those. And I remember just doing stupid stuff in those. I think that was one of the things that kind of clicked it where it's like, this is really fun. Right. And then 
the funny to close the loop on that story when my brother and I started getting our own cars and then driving them and then frying clutches and tires and breaking transmissions. And my dad would say, when have you ever seen me drive one of our cars like this? And I'd say, when have I ever seen you drive one of our cars? <laughs> so lined us up for automotive destruction well into our lives. That's pretty awesome. Well, Matthew, any I moment think, in time you know growing up my uh my dad is very hands-on so he did all of the the automotive home improvement repair yeah himself and so i was always with him doing those things so doing a brake job on his toyota pickup truck or helping him do an oil change or working on the motor home or working on these projects so it was always i think what was more interesting to me wasn't so much the car it was the mechanical problem solving how do i go about doing that and for one one of the things i remember was we went to a local auto parts uh, shop they had the billboard or the the, the cork board where they classified posting index cards people put you know cars for sale or whatever and one of them was uh, an ad for or a sign for a lost dog you know it was deaf blind missing uh one leg answers to the name of lucky <laughs> right you know one that, of those one of those things yeah. and, but i just remember that whole experience of, of taking the car apart taking the truck apart getting the the broken part taking it into this independent repair shop or independent parts shop right getting the replacement part you know handing it over the counter getting it fixing it and then seeing a clear result of the work i think that was kind of really where it started in junior high i was really big into mini trucks so they went the California Trek Jamboree. This is around the time of the Chevy C1500, like the Silverados and stuff being dropped. And this was the boxy bottle style. So this is like late 80s, early 90s. And so we would go to those. My dad being deaf, he could go sit in the demo vehicles from the these stereo. car stereo yeah. competitions. So these cars would have the bed filled with 15-inch, 18-inch subs, you know, several thousand watts of power, and everybody's wearing hearing protection except my dad because he's deaf, and he just got a huge kick out of it. And so that was really kind of the that bridge because I was into technology. I was right. into working with my hands, and because of that, I was into cars. And so for me, car audio was what bridged all of those gaps. So I installed my first stereo when I was, I want to say I was 13, when I saw my first car stereo and all throughout high school, I was installing stereos. And so it's always been about making something my own. It's fixing something. It's overcoming some sort of right. challenge. I think that that's really what got me into it. And I think that's one of the things I, I like about being an engineer today is the fact that like there is tangible results right. when I am done with work. I can point to something and say, I worked on that. You grew up loving cars. Now you're in a position where you're affecting cars. Yeah. That's I mean, I, I literally cool still play <laughs> with cars. Right. You know, as a kid, as an adult, I'm still playing. Right. Still having fun. And on that note, Nathan, thank you so much for being here. We had an awesome time. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, I guess we'll probably talk here soon. Everybody else? See you later. Later. So, uh, interesting thing happened in between recording this episode and airing this episode. Uh, Nathan had told us about his stolen bicycle and something pretty incredible happened. So we've actually called him. He's on the phone right now and uh, he's going to fill us in on what that was. Nathan, how you doing? Hey, guys doing great. How are you? Uh, fantastic. Thank you. So, so what happened in between recording and now? So, yeah, it's like the, uh, the thing that almost never, ever happened. So, you know... You're supposed to, whenever you get a bike stolen, check the registry, make sure you register it with the stolen bike, bicycle registry, and then uh, check Craigslist and offer up uh, kind of a daily to see if it ever comes up. And uh, it had been a couple of weeks and uh, was still just kind of checking for, for hope's sake. And about a week ago, I looked through Craigslist and saw it sitting there on an ad up in Long Beach. How much do um, they want for it? So they had it listed for 1900 which was a little low for what it is. But, um, <laughs> still a lot of bad price, you know? Was, it, was that, insul was was that like, insulting? You know, they didn't quite know what they had, but they, they, they had an idea. And then, uh, so yeah, my first instinct was like, I'm going to get my bike back. So I texted the dude and I was like, hey, you still got the bike? Yeah, it's still available. And I was like, ready to drive out there. And I was like, you know what? I should probably call the police before I do something that gets myself in trouble. Probably a good um, idea. Right. Yeah. So I kind of figured maybe, hey, that's the adult thing to do. Um, maybe not the ungrown up thing, but better than jail time. So I uh, called the police department, got a detective. Um, they contacted the guy and they weren't feeling great about it because apparently this guy like sent them his home address, his name, all a bunch of different stuff. And they're like, you know, this doesn't really feel like a stolen bike. And I'm like, you know, so I gave him the word. I said, you know, I can identify literally every single part on that bike. Right. The only thing stock on it is the frame, the fork, and honestly, not even the shock. Everything else is stuff that I put on it. I had receipts that I sent him for, and I said, you know, for what's basically a boutique bike um, in kind of an outsized frame, it's an extra large frame, which is kind of unusual. And then to have literally every single part 
that I put on it a month from when mine was stolen. You know, I know that's my bike. Yeah, that's pretty and, rare. Uh, yeah, right? So, or yeah, improbable? Improbable. Improbable. Yeah. Yeah. Gonna have yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah. The streamers from the handlebar match, the right. basket on the front. <laughs> the custom uh, license plates. Yeah, all yeah. that, right? So they did. They went out there. Um, they met with the dude. They verified it was my bike. The guy who had it uh, bought it from somebody like three days after it was stolen. And he still had the ad and everything from OfferUp where he had traded a bike and some cash for it. Um, so they determined that he probably wasn't the one. They think he was the victim as well. But I got my bike back, and now they're going after the dude that put up the offer of that in the first place. So, yeah, I'm crazy stoked to get my bike back. How much do you have it listed for on Craigslist now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I need to keep looking. Um, So, interestingly enough, I called my insurance company, told them what happened. Um, They had kind of partially paid out the claim, and they said, you know, well, what kind of condition it is in. And it's still serviceable, but it kind of got beat up a little bit. Looks like it got tossed in the back of the truck. and they said, hey, you know what? We don't want it. You're going to have to fix it up. So just keep the cash and no. keep the bike, and we'll close out the claim. His premium's going to increase the exact amount that they paid out. Right. Exactly. But for, so you, wait, hang on. So, right. To be clear, you found your bike. The cops right. went and got the bike. You now have the bike. Plus, insurance was like, meh, whatever. We gave you money. Keep it. That's you. Yep. You hit the quadfecta. Yeah, the only guy this sucks so, yeah. for is the guy that put the ad up on Craigslist that's out his bike and whatever money he put out. He's- totally. That guy is bummed because the cops aren't going to give him his money back. Do right. you know what he paid for it? I don't. I didn't get to see the offer of that. They gave me the dude's name, but I don't I didn't, uh, I don't remember it now because I didn't know who it was. Um, but based on the fact that he bought it literally a month ago and now has it put it up, I'm still halfway convinced he was kind of in on it. He was just kind of letting it cool off before it putting it up, you know? Yeah, like why he would knew. you get a brand new bike only to sell it right, right away? Right. Well, I mean, so, maybe maybe it was too big of a frame because to your point earlier, XL is not normal. Yeah. I mean, the dude in the ad said he was, you know, six foot tall, fit like a glove. I'm like, eh, it might not fit like a glove, but you could probably ride it. But If it doesn't yeah, fit, I'm, you must have quit. So <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> like, I can't believe you might be one of the only bicycle recovery success stories I've ever heard. It's the only one I've ever heard of. Like even like, I know a lot of people who ride bikes. I know several people who have a bike stolen. I don't know anybody who's had one recovered. So yeah, I'm, I was pretty over the moon when I got it back and got to bring it home. Did you go spend some money on lottery tickets and try your luck again? No, I burned it all up on getting the bike back. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You might want to lay low for a little while. <laughs> right. Exactly. Dude, that is absolutely amazing. Well, thank you for, for giving us a call. It's, it's been great. Uh, that's crazy. I'm super, super happy for you. Yeah, we ends both on a high are. Note. That's awesome. Yes, ends on a high note. And uh, I, I won't say you're an inspiration to the rest of us, but you do give us hope. <laughs> There's hope out there. Keep checking Craigslist. That's worth that. Right. All right, man. Thank you so much. You bet, guys. Talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. You've been listening to the Ungrown Ups podcast. And for this, we apologize. <laughs>